This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, June 6th. And now, please rise for the state of our Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. We live in Champaign, Illinois. This is a weekly baseball podcast. Uh, thanks to Nelly for our intro song. Our Nelly fun fact this week is not so fun. Uh, he was arrested in April of 2015. Uh, as far as I can tell, it's the only time he's been arrested. Uh, his tour bus was stopped in Tennessee and police... Uh, found 100 Ziploc bags of marijuana and lots of handguns, according to the uh, report in a Tennessee paper. Were they speeding? Uh, it didn't say why they were pulled over initially. Um, Nelly was charged with felony possession of drugs, simple possession of marijuana, and possession of drug paraphernalia. Uh, Nelly and his attorney maintained that uh, Nelly had nothing to do with it. He just let bad people on his tour bus. And I googled around. I couldn't couldn't find out whether uh, you know charges were pressed, but I don't know if anything actually happened because of it. Um, so that's the Nelly uh, fun fact. An actual uh, Nelly fun fact. Uh, I was at a wedding on Saturday night, and uh, they played a uh, a Nelly song. What song would that be? It's a great question. Uh, I couldn't tell you, but I remember it was Nelly. Beans uh, don't burn on the grill. Uh, it was not better up. And it was not, uh, it's getting hot in here, whatever the name of that one is. But All right, uh, moving on to baseball. Uh, what you got, Paul? Uh, i got to admit that my motivation for the podcast uh, could potentially dwindle over time. <laughs> the White Sox have had a rough go of it in the last uh, five or six weeks. They did trade for James Shields yesterday. Yeah. Pitcher for the he was, Padres. He was my selection in the uh, trade deadline game. He was. And he um, had, I took Eric Johnson. Who, the way. who uh, got sent to AAA. Yeah, initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you, in case you didn't, um, uh, if, in case you weren't on Twitter or you didn't catch it, the White Sox uh, traded for uh, James Shields, traded uh, Eric Johnson. Uh, kind of a, at one point he was a, a decent pitching prospect, but has since uh, done poorly. And so not. Real high on him. I don't hate to see him go. But then they also gave up Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, who is the son of a senior, uh, who is a, a better prospect. So they didn't give up a ton. Essentially, uh, and the Padres are eating some of the salary. So essentially the White Sox have signed James Shields to like a, a three-year, $27 million deal, which I think is okay. The White Sox aren't playing well, though, right? Yes, they're playing very poorly. They are in the process of getting swept by the Tigers. Um and uh, I think are one and nine in their last ten. Yeah. Other than Matt Albers uh, miraculously <laughs> saving a game earlier this week, there has been few bright spots. Yep. A uh, couple updates. Matt Bush, he was finally scored on. Uh, we had talked uh, the last couple of weeks about how well he was doing out of the bullpen for the Rangers. Uh, this past Tuesday, he came in the ninth inning with the Rangers beating the Indians seven to two, and this was the sixth time. Bush had been used in uh, in eight days, so they were really using him um, frequently. And he gave up three hits in one-third of an inning, 
and uh, Jeff Bannister pulled him, brought in the team's closer, Sam Dyson. And like I said, he was being used a lot, so this could have been just him being tired. And one Texas uh, columnist uh, was not pleased with Mr. Bannister's use of Matt Bush. So Adam Boddicker wrote an article uh, for NBC5, Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, their website. title is, Is Bannister Ruining Matt Bush? Uh, And I'll just read some of it for you. Look, we get it. Matt Bush isn't pitching's next greatest thing, at least not yet. The 30-year-old rookie is just more than a dozen games into his big league career and might turn out to be nothing more than a flash in the pan. But with his high 90s heater and his sharp breaking stuff, not to mention a reliever's mindset that screams, I'm a bad mother, don't mess with me, and it's not too likely. But Rangers skipper Jeff Bannister seems dead set on messing it all up. Just a day after the Rangers announced Bush would no longer throw on three days rest, Bush was in the game in the ninth inning with a five-run lead in a seemingly unnecessary appearance. And it didn't go well. Pitching for the sixth time in eight days, Bush was ripped apart by Indians hitters. He allowed three straight singles and a run while retiring just one batter before creating a safe situation and bringing in Sam Dyson for another appearance that was unnecessary just moments earlier. Look, Bannister is really great, and the Rangers are lucky to have him as their boss man. But he's flirting with disaster as far as an overly tired bullpen as we head into the dog days of summer. And he's flirting with the notion of ruining one of the best surprises of the season. So Bannister's getting some heat. Yeah, I I don't totally agree with the columnist, Mr. Boddicker. Um I guess I kinda wanna see what the rest of the bullpen their usage now, was. Bush hasn't pitched since then. Hmm. So there might be something to uh to his point there. I mean, if you're a good relief pitcher, you're going to pitch a lot. Yep. Another update. Our pal, friend of the podcast, Byron Anderson, was interviewed on the Rangers TV broadcast on Friday. Paul, did you see this? I did not see it, no. He threw out the first pitch uh, Friday. Byron, if you're new to the podcast, uh, hit a home run as a, as a promotion the Rangers did before the season. He got uh, season tickets for 2016 because he hit a, a batting practice pitch out of the Rangers Park, and so he got season tickets, and it was a story that kind of went viral, and we interviewed him on the podcast, uh, so you can go check out that interview. But uh, he was interviewed on the Rangers TV broadcast on Friday, so I thought we'd uh, get an update and listen in uh, to, to see how Byron's doing. Here with a very special guest, season ticket holder, Byron Anderson, and uh, a very unique story as to how you came about being a season ticket holder, Byron. Tell us about it. Well, uh, I was listening to the radio back in February, and I heard a uh, heard Chuck Morgan talking about how the Rangers were doing a giveaway where if you came to the park, used the wood bat, and you could have hit a home run off BP, uh, off a machine, then you won your tickets for the season for free. And I was like, man, I can do that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, everybody thinks they can do well, it. Yeah. But you actually did it. Yes, I did. I uh it's funny, too, because, um, you know, I played baseball a long time ago. I graduated in 2002 from Tarleton State, played baseball there. But uh, it's been a long time, you know what I mean, the 14 years. Uh, I play in old man leagues every now and then, but I hadn't played in about a year. And what got me to do it finally was my dad and my father-in-law. We were just talking about it that day, like, at noon at my son's flag football game. <laughs> and they both, like, whipped out the credit cards and were like, come on. We'll pitch in. Go do it. So uh, came down here, 
And the scary part uh, was we got here, and I said, you know, is the wind blowing in? Do I have a chance today? And the guys are like, well, Michael Young didn't do it earlier today when he was here. And I was like, oh, and my wife was like, just do it. We'll enjoy the tickets, and you'll like to hit down on the field. You've always wanted to do that. And so, you know, I got down there, and they said, take a few. And What's going through your mind when it's actually traveling out? I mean, are you in disbelief? or? Well, if you watch the video, I mean, as, you know, as a kid, when you're taking BP and you're trying to hit a home run, a lot of times you're being silly with your buddies. And uh, double down the, li- the left field line. You can do it all. Play by play off. <laughs> Bizarro on its second. Nobody out. Well, you also, speaking of silly, had a little fun throwing out the first pitch tonight. Uh, what was the inspiration behind the theatrics out there on the hill? Like I said, I still play old man ball with my buddies. And we play in a league that's got, it's 18 and up. But we still do all right. And really, it's just, you know, kind of a beer league. And we're sitting around <laughs> trying to think of silly things to do. And, uh, you know, the have the jersey and the uniform underneath the, the outfit was like an, the best idea we could come up with. Well, you, it, it worked. The, the dugout was cracking up. Um, you, you would definitely fit in with this group over here to my right. So congratulations, Byron. Thank you very much. Enjoy those season tickets the rest of the way. I will. Thank you to the Rangers. This has been awesome. This whole thing for my family has been awesome. So thank you very much to the Rangers. Well, congratulations, Byron. Now everyone's going to think they can hit a home run out of this park, guys. So it sounds like uh, Byron's doing well. So what was the – he was wearing his jersey underneath. Mm-hmm. I'll link to it in the, the podcast episode. But, yeah, he was wearing normal clothes, like a T-shirt and sweats. And then right before the pitch, he stripped him off and had a full, like, Rangers uniform on oh. underneath. So cool guy. And uh, hope the Rangers keep uh, playing good baseball so he can watch uh, watch good baseball. One more thing for me, uh, Mookie Betts. I felt like he was worth mentioning. He hit five homers in two days with the Red Sox um, and actually was walked twice on the second day. So in eight at-bats, he homered five times in two games. Uh, it's the first time in Major League Baseball history that a player hit a home run in each of the first two innings in consecutive games. Yeah, back-to-back games, he hit a homer in the first and second inning. And I guess from that series, too, the Red Sox and Orioles, a lot of offense, they uh, combined um, to score uh, 58 runs. In four games. I'm surprised you didn't mention this. Uh, Madison Baumgartner uh, hit another homer. That's coming later. Uh, well, I won't spoil too much. But Sounds of the game. In his last 190 plate appearances, he has 11 home runs, uh, which is just as many as Trout and um, Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive. Granted, you know, he's probably getting way more fastballs and pitches to hit. but still. And his average is bad. Yeah. He's just uh, a power-hitting pitcher. Um, but I I would love to see, this will never happen, but him as like a um, first baseman or mm-hmm. if he played in the American League, I guess he could be like a DH on his off days. Yep. All right. Um, on this week's podcast, we're going to answer a listener email here real quick, and then we have a new segment to debut before Out of the Box. Uh, then we'll do Out of the Box. Uh, what's your article on this week, Paul? Uh, this week it is on uh, old players doing well. All right. I've got an article on Barry Bonds. Then TWTW. What you got? Uh, runs, the run breakdown per inning. Huh. It, it'll be interesting. Intriguing. Uh, sounds of the game. Going to go out to San Fran for that one. 
uh, Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper. Uh, and then baseball profile, it's a bit uh, outside the box. Uh, Going to do some uh, dramatic poetry reading, uh, and then bottom of the ninth. But first, listener email. You can send us emails at afootinthebox at gmail dot com. It's afootinthebox at gmail dot com. Uh, Paul, get right to it. You are the Angels' GM. Would you accept this trade for Mike Trout uh, from the Cardinals? Uh, Gritchick, uh, Colton Wong, Matt Adams, Michael Waka, Hazel Baker, uh, Tyler Lyons. Those six guys. Hazel Baker, Gritchick, Wong, Adams, Waka, and Tyler Lyons for Mike Trout. Uh, yes. Really? Yes. Wow. And uh, if, if you're, the, you're the Cardinals, you would do that? If I was the Cardinals, I would for sure do it. Um, yeah, I I think the threesome of uh, Wong, Waka, and Grichik. Now you know pretty Wong is terrible. He's terrible this year. Uh, I don't think that you can write him off. Wow. Um, do you think that offer is better than the offer you? No, of course not. The Cubs offer? No, if you're going to trade Trout, you are conceding like the next two or three years. Uh, if you trade the best player in baseball, you're saying, hey, we're, we're planning for 2019, 2020. And so, not necessarily. I think so. You could get an infusion of really good players and then build but what's them. You're still, I mean, that's at best like an 81 team or I don't know. Your Cubs offer was what? Just a boatload of prospects and Kyle Hendricks. I thought Kiefer had a good point, though, that um, Kiefer is the one who sent us this mm-hmm. uh, trade proposal. That a lot of the, like you don't know if those prospects are going to pan out. Sure. So, but if you give him like ten, I suppose. Uh, if I was an Angels GM, I would make the Cardinals take Pujols back, Pujols right. and Trout, for all those guys. That would be interesting. Pujols coming. I back. know. I know. All right. Thanks, Kiefer, for sending that. Uh, and this uh, was. Uh, came as a reply to our trout trade talk a few weeks ago. So if you have a trout trade that you want to send us, uh, feel free to do so. A foot in the box at gmail.com. All right, it's time for a new segment. Paul and I have decided each episode on the podcast we are going to recap an episode of the TV show MacGyver in three minutes. Uh, MacGyver is a favorite show of Paul and I's from our youth, and we just got back into it because it's on Netflix. Uh, was what, what channel was it on back in the day? Uh, I think it was like ABC. But when it was we like a primetime show. Is it TV, uh, Land? TV Land? Yeah. Spike, maybe. Uh, it was a seven season TV show, 1985 to 1992. MacGyver is a secret agent type man. Uh, works for a, a. You really can't put him in a box, though. Works for an organization called the Phoenix Foundation, a think tank. So uh, we invite you to watch with us. Uh, we're going to start with season two, um, and I think we'll we'll just go chronologically for the first few episodes, so you can follow along. It's on Netflix for those that yeah, would like to watch these episodes. Yep. But yeah, each week we will take three minutes to recap an episode, and um, even if you didn't see the episode, we think it'll be good. But uh, if not, you can just hit the yeah exactly fifteen second advance eight times and pick up. On Baseball Talk. Exactly. All right, so I'm setting the timer right now for three minutes. 
and cue the MacGyver theme music as well. All right, go. So, Paul, this this episode, season two, episode one, entitled "The Human Factor." Uh, uh, where do you want to begin? Maybe just a quick uh, overview of the episode. So, MacGyver is called upon to help test the the high tech security system of a military base. Strata. Strata is the name of the military Strategic base. Research and Development Administration. So it's based, uh, it's kind of based in the, like the side of a mountain, mm-hmm. like the base of a mountain. Um, and the, uh, the military man, Colonel Woodward, Woody, as they called him. Kind of a crafty old man. He has a relationship with MacGyver's boss, Pete Thornton. They were in Vietnam together. So now, the future, uh, Pete Thornton is the only other reoccurring character along with MacGyver. So mm-hmm. he's, a, he's an important guy. So that's the connection there. And MacGyver is tasked with single-handedly testing the um, security system, like a kind of a modern-day, a lot of like bigger corporations will hire hackers to see if they can infiltrate hmm. the, like, uh, their security system to see to find weaknesses. And so that was MacGyver's job, is to find any weaknesses in the security system of this. But first, the episode starts out with uh, them giving MacGyver a tour of the place. Which is strange. Which anyone, uh, it'd be like a company hiring a hacker to hack in, but then giving them a tour of like how to do it. Yeah. So they give MacGyver a tour, show him all the security stuff, all state-of-the-art stuff in the 80s, and he meets Dr. Jill Ludlum, who uh, is developing this supercomputer named Sandy, and that Sandy is the security system. And Jill uh, thinks that by taking all the human effect away all humans out of the security system it's uh you know like a uh, a peak security system there's no human error in it but things don't go so well yeah one of uh one of our favorite lines from the episode is when this uh miss ludlow says uh ludlum ludlum sorry says that uh, all or 90 percent of all security breaches are caused by human error which leaves 10 percent for computer error mm-hmm. uh, and then doesn't take into account that uh, humans are actually the one like designing the mm-hmm. the security system, the computerized security system. But yep, to cover a lot of ground quickly, we're running out of time. Uh, MacGyver breaks in, actually wins a twenty-five cent bet with Doctor Ludlum. Uh, breaks in, Jill and MacGyver are the only two people left in this in the uh, facility strata, and uh, uh, the the computer system Sandy becomes so yeah Sandy becomes self-aware. And uh, traps them in. Turns on the MacGyver. Yep, and cuts their air supply. Says they only have 30 minutes to get um, to breathe before there's no more oxygen. Pete and Woody and an Asian tech guy are on the outside trying to help MacGyver and Jill uh, get out. Of course, MacGyver does break out using lots of gadgets and the like. Um, Paul, I thought the connection to baseball, and we'll end on this, is that... uh, you know, Pete and and Woody have this argument towards the end of the episode about trusting your gut um, over kind of your protocol. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I thought about front offices, you know, giving managers ultimatums or saying, uh, you know, you got to do certain things a certain way and not letting the, the, the manager trust their gut in key moments. Um, so maybe our listeners can ponder that as Pete and, and the colonel carry us out. There are still those two possibilities, the maintenance shaft and the exhaust outlet. 
And we can't roll the dice on something like this. Look, we don't roll the dice. We make a calculated choice. It's time we tried to think like MacGyver. His mind doesn't work like yours or mine. We've got to put our gut to work, Woody. Instinct doesn't cut it, Pete. We've got plans. They have been thought out. They have been reviewed. They've been approved. Some of the finest military minds in this country have been... We lost three good men in Nam, but those military minds were sitting behind some desk 300 miles away. I was under orders to spot enemy troop movement. Now, what the hell did you want me to do? We didn't have to be so close. We were there, Woody. We knew what to do. Headquarters didn't. And we're here now. It's our decision. These are our friends. Four minutes of oxygen left. Colonel? Woody? All right. All right. You know MacGyver best. It's your call, Pete. There you have it. Uh, a great first segment of MacGyver in 30, or 30, 30 seconds. Three minutes. Uh, look forward to uh, more episodes in the future. Season 2, Episode 2, next week. All right. Uh, we are taking up a lot of your time. Uh, next on the podcast is Out of the Box. All right, the article I read this week and want to discuss is Jonah Carey's... Uh, Jonah th- Carey. Yes. I haven't talked about him in a long time. Uh, the 30 age is just a number, so he does a weekly column for Sports Illustrated where he goes through all 30 teams and kind of writes about a trend that he sees in Major League Baseball. This week it was about old players doing well. Um, so even though youth is kind of all the rage in Major League Baseball, you have so many young guys playing well and Bryant, Correa, Lindor, Syndergaard, uh, Corey Seager recently, all these young players doing really, really well. Um, you can tend to forget that uh, we're actually seeing historic seasons from uh, old players as well. And Kerry highlights three old guys that are uh, killing it so far this year. Uh, first, Fernando Rodney. Peter, can you tell me which team Fernando Rodney plays for? Closer for the Padres. That's correct. He's 39 years old. So far this year, he has yet to give up an earned run, 19 innings uh, in relief. He's only given up eight hits in those 19 innings. Um, and he throw, even though he throws his sinker and changeup almost 90% of the time, so hitters know what's coming, he still has been uh, pretty unhittable so far this year. So uh, Fernando Rodney is your first old guy doing well. Then you have Ichiro. Uh, outfielder for the Marlins, and he kind of came in this year as uh, the fourth outfielder for the Marlins, but he's played himself into more and more playing time. Uh, he's the second oldest player in the majors behind, can you tell me, Pete? Bartello. That's correct. Um, Bartello Colon of the Mets. Uh, second oldest player in the big leagues. He's batting three seventeen and has a three eighty five on base percentage. And percentage-wise, no one strikes out less than each row in the National League. Um, and then finally, David Ortiz, who's having uh, the best year of his career, mm-hmm. actually. At the age of 40, he announced before the season that he would be retiring at the end of the year. So this is his final season. Uh, his slash line is 337, 419, and 727. Um, would be career highs in all three of those categories. And uh, Kerry kind of asked that the question like is there any precedent in sports for this uh someone uh 
in their final year uh, having a career year. And uh, the only guy that he could think of was Sandy Koufax, and that was more because his arm just uh, yeah. wouldn't let him pitch anymore. He was still at kind of peak age when compared to other players. But obviously Ortiz being 40, you don't typically see career years after that age. So very interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of hoping the White Sox will get some of Something of that with Jimmy Rollins, but so far that has not been the case. Um, but yeah, I, I really don't know. It'd be interesting to look at like what is a good predictor for success later in life. Ortiz yeah, like, would be the perfect guy that you would think would not do well, given that he's only really a power hitter. And um, I think power ages better than most. But like Ichiro, for instance, yeah, it's a good point. You get two very different hitters that are aging. And Rod, like Rodney, he was he was awful the first part of last year. Went to the Cubs and. Did much better, but yeah, you wouldn't see a he still wasn't yeah he wasn't dominant a lights out closer coming at age thirty nine. Mm-hmm. All right, my article uh, comes from Claire McNear of The Ringer. Happy opening week to The Ringer. That's uh, Bill Simmons' new website. Uh, check it out, theringer.com. Uh, she wrote a pretty good article about Barry Bonds. Uh, it's entitled "The Barry Bonds Image Rehabilitation Guide." Uh, Barry Bonds is the hitting coach for the Miami Marlins this year, and we really haven't talked about it that much. It's a it's a very intriguing storyline, though, because uh, it's his entry back into baseball after being pretty removed from the game for several years. Uh, he was not well liked when he played. Uh, he was, you know, clearly a very good player, uh, probably the best of all time. But uh, his teammates didn't really like him. Uh, the Giants fans kind of had a love hate relationship with him. Uh, Pirates fans definitely hated him mm-hmm. after what we talked about a couple weeks ago with um, the Braves, uh, the two-run single to beat him in the 92 NLCS. Um, but like I said, Bonds was absent from baseball since he retired in, in 2007. Claire writes about how Bonds has uh, improved his image, and he's pretty well-liked now. Um, so he, Claire put together five rules uh, for the fallen sports heroes, uh, guide to winning the public's affection back as perfected by Barry Bonds. So here are the five uh, ways to get back into the good graces of sports fans. Number one, be very, 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 very sorry and perhaps even self-aware. So earlier this week, Bonds apologized publicly for the first time for the way he carried himself when he was a player. And I'll just quote from what he said uh, before a game against the Braves in Atlanta. Uh, when asked about kind of his his perception in the game, he said, "Me, it's on me. I'm to blame for the way I was portrayed because I was a dumbass. I was straight stupid, and I'll be the first to admit it. I mean, I was just flat flat out dumb. What can I say? I'm not going to try to justify the way I acted towards people. I was stupid. It wasn't an image that I invented on purpose. It actually escalated into that, and then I maintained it. You know what I mean? It was never something that I really ever wanted." No one wants to be treated like that because I was considered to be a terrible person. You'd have to be insane to want to be treated like that. That makes no sense. Uh, so Bonds is clearly self-aware of his reputation and, and is taking ownership of it. So that's the first step in Claire's plan. Number two, continue to be an amazing athlete. Uh, Bonds reportedly won a home run derby earlier this year against uh, Giancarlo Stanton and some other Marlins. Uh, and Bonds is 51 years old, so it's still really cool that he's such a good player. Uh, number three, have a charming social media presence. Uh, Bonds, I don't follow him on Instagram or Twitter, but apparently he has a charming social media presence. 
I guess he he's big into biking last year. That was kind of his entry back in. Hmm. So, uh, yep. Number four is hope that your old team becomes really successful. So it helps that the Giants were so good these past few years because it was easy to forget about Bonds. And number five is go full dad. So apparently on Bonds' social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter, he posts about his daughters quite a bit and uh, just isn't very good at uh, Twitter and Instagram or isn't like professional. And so that's endearing, I guess, to some people. Um, so oh, like dad is in not just like uh, post a lot about your kids, but also be just like cheesy, bad corny. Dad. Yeah. Hmm. Well, he just got another follower. <laughs> Gonna have to go follow Mr. Bonds. Mm-hmm. I'm still skeptical about uh, about Bonds's um, kind of like repentance and wanting to change because uh, did you see the Jack Peterson story? I did not. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, Jack Peterson told this story on Fox Sports Live. You're a massive Barry Bonds fan, correct? Yeah, uh, I was. You're what? Now, so your thoughts then? Does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? <clears throat> yeah, no, I won't take anything away from what he uh, does on the field. He uh, is, I still think he is the best player to uh, ever uh, pick up a bat, best hitter. Um, yeah, but I don't know. We played Miami the other, the freaking at home and yeah. I you know I went up to him and said hey man you're my favorite player can we get a picture and I don't know he kind of just turned his back on me and looked and I don't know he bigly he bigly Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Not he cool, didn't take Barry the Bonds. no like if you're me yeah just turned yeah and I kind of stood there awkwardly for oh, a little bit God. and I, then I was kind of like all right well frick yeah. that's like childhood yeah, it crushed. Yeah, trust me. It uh So before I was flustered. I didn't know I don't know how moment. I played that day because I was I was a mental head case. You build this guy up in your mind. Yeah, and like I told I told my dad like, "Oh, like we're playing them. Like I'm excited like Barry's there and he kind of just said, "That's too bad." Hey, Barry, not cool. Yeah, that's not yeah. cool, Barry. Straight talk from Jack there. Yeah, not, not the most uh, articulate uh of players, but I appreciate the the honest story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jack Peterson, outfielder for the Dodgers. If you're not familiar with him, uh, good, young, good young player. Uh, so, yeah, I'm skeptical about Bonds. It still seems like he's a jerk uh, at heart. But it is it is really good to have him back in the game, one of the best hitters of all time, and he's actually doing a pretty good job with the Marlins. They haven't scored a ton of runs, but I looked at like their uh, on-base percentage. Last year, they were 23rd in the majors in OBP at 310. This year, they're up to 9th at 326. And I feel like that's maybe the, the skill that Bonds can maybe pass on, or that approach. Uh, it's the best thing he can do as, as a hitting coach, is to do what he did as a, as a hitter. Sometimes I've heard that the best hitters and the best pitchers make the worst uh, hitting and pitching coaches because that what Hawk says? it was so easy for them. But maybe that's an overgeneralization. Yep. All right. Uh, well, that was out of the box. Next up, TWTW. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs. When they put in TWTW and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is. Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win. All right. Uh, real excited about this TWTW. And it's something that I never looked into, and I'm surprised I never looked into it. Uh, Peter, let me start with a question. 
which inning in which inning are teams most likely to score runs? That's a great question. I'm going to guess uh, like third time through the lineup. So I'm going to guess the, th- the fifth inning, fifth or sixth. Incorrect. Uh, I looked at the last five years, so through 2012, and the first inning has been uh, the number one um, hmm. run scoring inning every year. So this year, teams are averaging 0.52 runs per fir- per first inning, uh, and that's tied with the third inning and the sixth inning. Um, but then you have the... Wait. So I was right. The sixth. I said the fifth or the sixth. For this year. But then if you oh, look at... Historically? Yep. Uh, so teams are most likely to score runs in the first inning, and this has been the case for the last five seasons. And uh, I was just trying to think through any possible scenarios for that. Or uh, theories for why that's the case? Yeah, just maybe a pitcher's wild to start a game, or if a prospect comes up and is really bad, he might give up five runs in the first, and that might skew it a little bit. Yeah, what I thought was like uh, the first inning, you have a lot of times the three or four best hitters that's coming true. up. Very true. Uh, with three outs to work with, so there's probably something there. Um, but yeah, then I also agree with you. Pitchers aren't in their groove yet. You have the the sinker ballers that never seem to get their ball to sink right away. Um, Where did that come from? That's always a thing. Really? Yeah. Uh, But then you have the second, eighth, and ninth, who the last five years have always been the hardest uh, innings to score runs. So the ninth, you said? The second, eighth, and ninth uh, are always the last three. So that would go against, uh, announcers often say, the ninth is the hardest, hardest three outs to get. Yes, that would go against that. So it's the easiest. Easiest. Tied Uh, tied for the easiest. Any theories as to why that might be the case? Like all three of those innings? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Second inning, probably have not your best hitters up. Right, bottom half of the lineup. Um, And then eighth and ninth, probably just with bullpens in the last five years, have exploded with guys that just throw so hard and it's hard to score offense against them. Yep, I tend to agree. Those are both two theories that I had written down. Um, and then uh, getting back to your first guess, the fifth and sixth have been up near the top as the easiest or the most likely innings to score runs. Any theories for why that might be the case? Well, like I said earlier, just uh, third time through the lineup. Lineup might flip around uh, during those innings more often than others. Start, yeah, starter gets tired, those sorts of things. I also had those. Another one I had was that a lot of times the relief pitcher you bring in in the fifth or the sixth, they're not near the caliber you bring in mm-hmm. later in the... Which reminded me, the Cubs last year had, um, is it Justin Grimm? Mm-hmm. And they kind of call, called him like the... They had some term for him where he was kind of like hmm. the mid-game closer. Yeah, Men has really switched his philosophy on starters this year. Last year he would pull them, especially uh, guys like Hamill or Hendricks, uh, even like in the fourth or fifth inning if, if he felt like they, it was necessary. This year he's let a lot of them go much deeper, hmm. mainly because they've been really good. Yeah, well, looking at 2016, uh, what inning have the Cubs scored the – which inning have they been most likely to score runs so far this year? The Cubs? Mm-hmm. That's easy. The seventh, because the seventh inning stretch, personality says let's get some runs. <laughs> They're motivated. Bam. Uh, Got it. Incorrect. Next next question. Incorrect. Do you have a guess? That was my guess. Uh, the fourth inning. 
They're actually really high. They average uh, 0.85 runs per fourth inning. Hmm. And the inning they're most likely to give up runs is the sixth. Um, For... uh, for my White Sox, they give up the most runs in the eighth. My White Sox. Uh, and they uh, score the most in the seventh. A uh, couple other uh, things looking around other teams. The Red Sox offense is insanely good. Mm-hmm. Um, they are averaging more than one run per inning in the first this year. So on average, they're scoring at least one run per first inning. And then the Reds bullpen is awful. They are giving up almost one run per seventh inning, um, 0.93 for the Reds' bullpen in the seventh so far this year. Um, one big takeaway, I was talking through this with my wife last night at dinner. Uh, good, get, good dinner conversation. Get to games early, right? Don't miss the first inning because that is the inning mm-hmm. that your team is most likely to score a run. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. Really good stuff. You should. Aren't tweet, you surprised we've never? You, should, t- you we, should tweet out that stuff this week. Aren't you surprised we've never talked about it before? A little bit. Uh, my, like one of my favorite things about baseball is there's so many things like this where you can watch the game for years and not really think too much about it, and then uh, I don't know, just you look at it and it's, and it's uh, interesting stuff. That does it for TWTW. Next up, we have sounds of the game. All right, for sounds of the game this week, uh, we are going to look at the San Francisco Giants TV broadcast tandem. Uh, so Fangraphs does a crowdsourced TV and radio broadcast rankings. comes uh, from Carson Custily. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Um, but thanks, Carson, for putting that together. He's a writer for Fangraphs. does good work. Um, he released this TV list a couple weeks ago. He just had fans vote on their favorite, uh, or rank their um, home team's radio uh, and TV broadcast. Uh, so the radio list comes out starting this week, so I thought we'd recap the TV list first. Uh, number one on that TV list is the Dodgers home telecast with Foot in the Box legend Vin Scully. Uh, number two on that list is the Giants. Because we uh, play Vin Scully so much, uh, I thought I'd go to the number two. Uh, so the Giants broadcast tandem is Dwayne Kuyper and Mike Kruko. Uh, Kuyper is a graduate of Southern Illinois University, Paul. I did not know that. Yep. Uh, his younger brother, Glenn, is a broadcaster for the Oakland A's right across the bay. Uh, it's kind of a cool uh, baseball storyline. As a player, uh, Kuiper played in 1,057 games, had 3,700 plate appearances, 917 hits, but just one lone home run. Uh, so if you Google that, uh, Dwayne Kuiper home run, there's a, there's a lot of funny stuff written about that one home run. It was hit off Steve Stone, White Sox broadcaster. Um, so Kuiper was not a great player, but he, he did have a 12-year career. Probably the most interesting set outside of the one home run thing, uh, he was 52 for 123 in stolen base attempts. Wow, that's brutal. It's a 42%, so I don't think that cuts the money ball uh, 75% line. Was he a uh, outfielder? What position did he play? Second base. Uh, so I think he was kind of seen as a speedy guy, but uh, was just a terrible base stealer. Uh, Mike Kruko is the color guy for the Giants, and he was a starting pitcher for the Cubs and Giants in the 70s and 80s. Uh, so going to play a couple clips to get a taste of Dwayne and Mike. Uh, the first one 
Uh, you probably heard it before. It's when Barry Bonds breaks Hank Aaron's home run record. He hits number 756 in 2007. Deals. And Bonds hits it deep. It is out of here. 756. Bonds stands alone. He is on top of the all-time home run. All right, the next one is Madison Baumgartner hitting a home run off Clayton Kershaw this year. Paul mentioned uh, to start the podcast that Baumgartner had um, homered recently this past week, um, but he also homered against Kershaw to the first week of the season. Uh, so here is Dwayne and Mike uh, giving that call. Check out our cold heart facts. It was brought to you by Clean Crisp Coors Light. On May 21st, 2015, Bumgarner became the first pitcher to hit a home run off of Clayton Kershaw. Bumgarner also the first pitcher to hit a home run off a defending Cy Young winner since June 15th, 02, Estes off of Clemens. And he takes a mighty cut in a foul straight back. Well, Kershaw went right at him with a fastball. When you watch the replay of that home run, they had set a target on the inside corner. Kershaw just flat out missed it out of the plate. And Bumgarner got extended. You're going to see him try and crowd it with a fastball. And when he throws a fastball to him, he misses it down or any other bat. Fastball in. He shake, shook it off. Take a look at that home run one more time. See the target way inside, and look where the ball goes out over the plate. Boom. He hits it high. He hits it deep. It is out of here. He's done it again. Set the target in and look at the mistake. And this is really just a little bit up the bat off the sweet spot. It gives you an idea how strong he is. Adrianza high and deep and foul. Another look from the splash cam at the majestic arc of a high fly ball. Into the stands, and you can see Kershaw's reaction. Not happy. Something about, are you kidding me? Paul, give me your best impression of uh, Kuiper. He hits it high. He hits it deep. Gotta go lower. Let me hear yours. <laughs> he hits it high. He hits it deep. It's out of here. It's pretty good. That It's kind of synonymous uh, with Bonds for me. He's very good, got a great voice, uh, and the rare play-by-play guy that uh, was a player.
Uh, where do the White Sox and Cubs fall in that ranking? Well, it's a great uh, teaser. Uh, you can find the whole Fangraphs list on our podcast episode page. Cubs are in the top five. The White Sox uh, away broadcast with Hawk is dead last by quite a margin. And I think the home broadcast with the new guy is somewhere in the middle. Hmm. Uh, but yep, yeah, check that out and check out the radio uh, rankings next week. Next up, we have Baseball Profile. This week's Baseball Profile is a little outside the box. Uh, Casey at the Bat is a baseball poem that was published this past week in 1888, June 3rd to be specific. Uh, so I'm going to give a little background in it to the, the classic poem, and then uh, Paul and I are going to read it dramatically on the podcast. So Casey at the Bat is a poem published, like I said, June 3rd, 1888, by Ernest Lawrence Thayer in the San Francisco Examiner. Thayer was a Harvard grad and a writer for the San Francisco Examiner. The uh, poem was published in 1888. It was first recorded in audio form in 1893. Walt Disney picked it up in 1946, uh, became a lot more popular then. Um, and then um, Grantland Rice wrote a sequel to Casey at the Bat in 1907, and Disney also made a sequel in 1954. The Disney sequel uh, is called Casey Bats Again, and the plot line is Casey's nine daughters redeem his reputation. <laughs> kind of an odd uh, storyline. They make up like a roster. I didn't watch it, but that's what Wikipedia told me. Uh, what it was, Grantland's better. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's well written. Uh, essentially, Casey comes up to bat a couple weeks later in a high moment, and everyone hates him, but he hits a long home run. Uh, two towns claim to be the famous Mudville, referenced in the poem. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you will in a second. There's one town in Massachusetts that has a neighborhood called Mudville. Uh, and Thayer's family actually owned a woolen mill less than a mile from that uh, Mudville's baseball field. However, Stockton, California also has a pretty solid claim on it. Stockton was known for a time way back when as Mudville. That was the name of the town. Uh, Thayer covered baseball for the San Francisco Examiner, so it, that was in California uh, in 1902. After the poem gained, gained uh, traction, Stockton renamed their baseball team the Mudville Nine. So they clearly thought they had a, uh, a claim to it back then. Uh, Thayer would, would say before he died, though, that the, the, the poem actually has no basis in fact. Uh, so neither town really can say that they are the, uh, the origin. All right, so Paul and I are going to, uh, to read this poem. Uh, it's referenced all the time in pop culture. And... Uh, the outro will be a compilation of those of those uh, pop culture references. Um, Wikipedia says Casey at the Bat has a fair amount of baseball jargon that can pose challenges for the uninitiated into baseball. So uh, we hope you can stick with us. But here is Casey at the Bat. The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two with but one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first, and Barrows did the same, a pall-like silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought if only Casey could but get a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake, 
and the former was a hoodoo, while the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single, to the wonderment of all, and Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted, and men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second, and Flynn a hugging third. Then from five thousand throats and more there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley, it rattled in the dell. It pounded on the mountain and recoiled upon the flat, for Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile at Casey's face. And when responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat. No stranger in the crowd could doubt t'was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance flashed in Casey's eye, a sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching it, and haughty gander there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there went up a, muff a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him, kill the umpire, shouted someone on the stand, and it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. <laughs> he bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the dense sphere flew, but Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, Strike two! Fraud! cried the maddened thousands, and Echo answered, Fraud! But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain. And they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence, his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. Well done, Paul. Good reading. Yes, I uh, didn't realize how well written the poem was. I hadn't read it for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder if a game has ever ended like that. One of us should write an article about a time where two guys reached for the big slugger, but... Uh, My favorite moment in the poem is when... Uh, after strike one, the fans are ready to kill the umpire, mm -hmm. but Casey uh, tells them to not to. Essentially, it's pretty intimidating. Five thousand fans yelling, uh, "Kill the umpire!" Mm -hmm. It's rough. All right, uh, first up, say my name. Say my name. Say my name. All right, in honor of us uh, beginning our MacGyver um, segment this week. I attempted to find a player with the last name of MacGyver. There are no MacGyvers. There were no Pete Thorntons, but there was a Jack Dalton. Wow. Who, uh, if you stick with us, will be a character that pops up from time to time. And uh, fairly um, simple or basic um, career. Uh, five seasons in the big leagues uh, in the early 20th century. 
played from 1910 until 1916. His best year came in 1914 with the Brooklyn Robins. Uh, in 515 plate appearances, he had an on-base percentage of close to 400 and 19 stolen bases. However, this is where it gets interesting. Uh, Post-baseball um, career, he mysteriously vanished uh, while walking home from church in 1948. And for over 60 years, no one knew where he lived or where he had died or where he was buried. Uh, enter in the Sabre community. That would be researcher Al Quimby. And by researcher, I really just mean a zealous baseball fan. Uh, apparently, there are very few baseball players uh, where their um, place of death is not known, where their uh, death certificate uh, isn't, uh, hasn't been found. And uh, Dalton was one of them. And so uh, Al wanted to find it. And so for... 20 years he looked, and finally he found uh, his certificate of death at a hospital in Pittsburgh and uh, found out that two years after he vanished, he had died of a heart ailment at this hospital and was buried there. Where did he vanish to? Was he kidnapped? Uh, no. Uh, that isn't known, but his uh, he walked out on his family, um, went from, he was in, vanished in Maryland, but then uh, died in Pittsburgh. Apparently lived in Pittsburgh. Wow, that's really interesting. But yeah, the Society of American Baseball Researchers are the ones who crack the code. Um, yeah, very interesting. I I was just looking for a MacGyver character, and then I kind of stumbled upon a very interesting the, story. The family must not have liked him very much. Yeah. You know, to not look for him, or they must have known that he just left them. Yeah, it was. I know he was on his second wife, so yeah, I agree with you. And the police weren't looking into it either. So it was just kind of an odd situation. Hmm. That's good stuff. Uh, MacGyver's first name is Angus. You should look for Angus. First I name forgot about that. Baseball players of Angus. All right, my Yahoo Answer of the Week comes from Ryan. And Ryan asks, what is the deeper meaning of Casey at the bat? Uh, a couple great answers, uh, but Paul, what would you say is the, the deeper meaning of Casey at the bat is? Um, I would say sometimes in life... You just strike out, and it happens, hmm. and you can't get down can't get down on yourself about it. Okay. Well, Bad Kitty, Yahoo user, uh, says that it's a perfect illustration of the mistake of overconfidence in the face of disaster. Casey doesn't even swing at the first two pitches. He is so sure he'll hit a home run when he does swing. Of course, he misses completely. The moral: swing away every chance you get. You might not get another one. Hmm. Another Yahoo user, Picador, says, The fact that the hopes of Mudville could be centered upon the prowess of one athlete is a realistic but pitiful observation of society. No, brother. What ought to be sheer entertainment is, through projection, a matter of life or death, because when Casey strikes out, each of us does too. Is that your favorite? Yes. Yes, I think when Casey strikes out, we all do too. See, I I don't think it's so much arrogance. Do you read in that he's a... Well, I feel like that is the stereotype of it. He's like being selective. Maybe in like uh, the book, or maybe I've seen a video uh, rendering of it, and it's like Casey comes off as very arrogant. But yeah, reading it seems like it, just, he, it just happens. Doesn't he just say, that, like, that's not my style? Mm -hmm. Something like that. That wasn't my pitch. I'm going to wait for another one. Yeah. 
Well, like the Cubs just lost the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks aren't very good. The Cubs are historically good so far this year. Baseball happens. You lose. The the Warriors set the wins record. They lost to some bad teams. Yeah. So, bad Were set, they just down one run? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, just needed a single. Yeah. Maybe I mean, maybe that's the he swung too hard on. The t- uh, t- he didn't choke up. He pressed too much. All right. Uh, last segment. Pick your team. Last week I had the Cardinals, who are three and two right now. They play on Sunday Night Baseball, uh, so don't have their full week. Uh, Paul, you had the Giants. They also play the Cardinals on Sunday Night Baseball, but so far they went three and three this week. Uh, so records updated. I am thirty-five and twenty. You are thirty-three and twenty-two. So who uh, who is your team this week? Let me go with the Houston Astros. They've won uh, three series in a row, uh, four out of five overall. You know they play the Cubs and Red Sox this week? I uh, was not aware because you know I don't look at schedules. I made that up. When a team's hot, a team's hot. That's ridiculous. It doesn't matter who they play. My team is the Cubs. They play the Phillies and the Braves this week, both teams that are going through some rough rough times. Uh, as a reminder, the loser of this season-long battle has to record better up the intro by himself over the off season. Uh, looking ahead, big podcast coming next week. It's the Brothers Road Trip. Uh, Paul and I and our older brothers, John and Kevin, we're headed to D.C. as part of our annual Brothers Baseball Road Trip. Uh, very excited for that. Going to see some uh, Cubs Nationals baseball. Visit a lot of tourist attractions that we've never been to uh, Washington, D.C. before, so we're very excited. If you're curious to know how we decided on D.C., you can go back and listen to episode 37 of the podcast, recorded at our family's home over Christmas, and episode 15 is the Brothers Road Trip podcast from last year. So we'll try to top our performance uh, from last year this year. Uh, still being worked out what exactly we'll do, but it'll be a unique podcast, and we think you will really enjoy it. Yeah, and if there are any places, musty places in D.C. Mm-hmm. that you've been to, uh, tweet at us or email us. Uh, because Peter and I have never been there. John, our older oldest brother, has, but I don't think Kevin has either. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely newbies to D.C. and uh, trying to cram a lot of tourist attractions into like two or three days isn't easy. Mm-hmm. And if someone wants to tweet at us, Paul, what's, what's the Twitter handle they should tweet at? It's uh, at a foot in the box. That's correct. And we also have a website where I uh, write weekly. And that's a foot in the box dot com slash Paul. Uh, you can also just go to the website and click the tab for Paul. That, that's correct. And you can email us anytime. We're open twenty four seven at Gmail, and that's a foot in the box at Gmail dot com. iTunes. You can subscribe to us there, and you can give us a, a rating and review us. That really helps, from what I told, get the word out to all the baseball fans in the world that might not hear about us otherwise. Very good. Anything to add? Just a reminder, keep your foot in the box. We'll see you next week. Adios.